Dead men tell no tales. Fifteen men loaded in man's chest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. Drink and the devil had done for the rest. Yo ho ho and a bottle of rum. You best start believing in ghost stories. You're in one. There are no survivors. The ship with black sails that's crewed by the damned. Welcome aboard the Black Pearl. Welcome to the Black Pearl Show, a Pirates of the Caribbean podcast where we analyze, scrutinize, and plunder the Pirates of the Caribbean films, and yes, the expanded universe. We dabble in history, stress the euphemisms, and strive to have a hell of a good swashbuckler time each and every freaking week. It's a show where we break down each and every minute of the Pirates of the Caribbean films, the franchise, you say. One blimey minute at a time. <laughs> yeah, it was kind of like a an old gangster thing there. Oh, that's not One the first time the old gangster things come to the show, by the way. I don't think. Oh, it's come Yeah, before. it probably has. Yeah. I'm Scott Artis from scottartist.com. And I'm Heather Artis from blackpearlshow.com. Thanks for joining us today for episode 120 of season two as we wind down Dead Man's Chest. It's hard to believe that season two is actually coming to an end. It's been such a long freaking road. Coming to an end? Isn't this basically the end? Almost the end. There's another episode left. It's time for minutes 140 and 141. Of Dead Man's Chest today. That also means, like I was just telling Heather, that there's one episode left. Since all the credits we're just going to throw into the the cauldron there. Yeah. Tackle it in the next episode. We're going to put it in the chest. We're going to just put it in that chest with all the the coins, the cursed coins, and go from there. Ten minutes of credits, though, is basically, plus the end credits scene. But we're just going to throw it all together and start fresh with season three. And then kind of the final season two episode next week. We can also chat maybe what's in store for season three at World's End. Maybe. Do some of that. And I say we just get rolling. So that means, what's the word? Could it be Pirate Word of the Week? Ahoy there, scallywags. Pirate Word of the Week in five, four, three, two. The last Pirate Word of the Week? This one actually pertains to you today. Awesome, Captain. Grog Blossom. <laughs> Grog Blossom. <laughs> <laughs> you seem to have a Grog Blossom. What is that? <laughs> Someone with a red nose from drinking too frequently. How dare you, for one thing. <laughs> that is just ridiculous. My poor red nose all day, and I've been getting hassled, and now on the air for all to hear. Grog Flower. Blossom. Grog Not flower. Blossom. Grog Blossom. <laughs> That's freaking ridiculous. Okay, what's this have? Is there anything? That's it? Yeah. You're going out with the last pirate word of the week and you're going out without a bang of anything. You're just dropping it is more of a slight against Scott. I looked and I looked and I looked and I couldn't find any information on it. So Okay. That's all you get. Oh, there we go. Grog Blossom. Blossom. I usually recap the minutes too. Speaking of things that are just not going to the usual thing. Because I do. I usually recap what we've covered in the previous show, kind of with a heavy tongue-in-cheek approach. And 
then as much as I like want to keep the show's tradition, I'm not sure it's entirely appropriate because I usually, like I said, I do it kind of in a tongue in cheek, maybe heavy on the euphemisms. Yeah. But honestly, Jack is getting a vigil from possible people he kept out of slavery. And as the Motley crew kind of bolt into bolt boat into Teodalma's shack, right? Yeah. I don't know if it's appropriate to lambast that scene in euphemisms with Bayou people out there who may have been possible slaves to Jack Breed. It just didn't seem appropriate. It's like noble and bulletproof scene. For me to then come in, I don't know. I just wasn't mentally prepared to take the onslaught, you know, of all the hate mail that could possibly come in for such a deed. That's for one thing, because you're thinking them as possible freed slaves, but what if they weren't? Well, what if, if they're just swamp people? Well, then they're weirdos for having a vigil for Jack. Maybe they know Jack. I, He's been to Tia's that's true. cabin multiple times. Now you made me say it. You made me call them weirdos. And they're not weirdos. Maybe they know him. Maybe. I mean, there was a relationship with Jack with and Tia at one point in time, Come right? On. I can't believe this. We've actually just jumped right into this. So you're saying... I mean, it's a possibility yeah. they were the freed slaves, but... It's a possibility it wasn't. But and he just knew them because he had a relationship with Tia one day. That's true, but he knew all of them very well to where maybe they were they that had, sad. Maybe they had barbecues. I don't know. Again, I, we can't, we can't rehash. Swamp people. We Who can't rehash. What they do. You know what these people do? I don't. <laughs> it's like you're treating them like they're, they're the untouchables. They're swamp people. I don't know what they do. (laughs) Stay away from me. I didn't say that. Look what you've done. You took us down this road when I was trying to be reverent about these people. And now now you've called them untouchables, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Disturbed, weirdo untouchables who who knows what they do in the swamp. Why are they in the swamp? What is with these people? They're probably having their gumbo all together. See, okay, now you've jumped into stereotypes. And now, <laughs> this is my no, point of why I avoided. No, we're in the Caribbean. They eat gumbo in the Caribbean. That's, <laughs> send all your hate mail directly to Heather. <laughs> As I tried to be reverent, Heather stomped all over these people. I did not. You're just making it sound like Minute that. 140 begins with Gibbs finishing the name Sparrow in his toast. Rigetti follows suit by saying, never another, like Captain Jack. Pintel jumps in with, he was a gentleman of fortune, he was, while Elizabeth musters, he was a good man. They all take a drink from their mugs, except Elizabeth. Minute 141 ends with the shack visitors seeing Captain Barbosa walk down the stairs for a surprise entrance. So tell me, what's become of my ship? Jack, the monkey, scrambles up to Barbosa's shoulder as he brings an apple up for a bite. Ends with him kind of locking his teeth onto it. There we go. That's the end of the minute. Oh, I just went to the end of the movie. You went to the end of the movie? Are you kidding me? No, I, I kind of cut it at the end of the movie. Well, okay. There's not much and at the very end to say. Yeah. He, he dribbles juice on his chin. so. And the monkey looks at him like, why are you dribbling juice? Well, he gives a kind of a screech. but Well, he looks at him like, the heck? So um, I cut mine off at the end of the movie and then did the... Anyway, it doesn't well, matter. It's just... It doesn't matter. Oh, really? The one who's always calling me out on sticklerness of the, the format. Well, this is kind of weird. It, ends, it just... Yeah. Whatever. I know it's bad form to yak on a movie in its last minutes, its final death throes, but I have a beef with things here. I'm calling you out, Terry and Ted. I said I'm calling you out because what the hell is happening here? Here's the problem I have. 
Why do Pintel and Rigetti step up and say I about scratching? Scratching. <laughs> <laughs> ah, I, scratching. <laughs> I want to scratch. I want to scratch that. Will is looking That's around a very like, good question. why is he wanting to scratch? No, search. Searching. How does search and scratch come together? <laughs> it must be some kind of weird thing. They miss, maybe that answers my question then. Tia Dalma's asked, do you guys want to go search for Jack and bring him back? They heard scratch. And they're like, yeah, I can scratch. And so, okay, forget that. It's not scratch, it's search. I want to know why they're all uppity and happy and gung-ho. Okay, not happy, but gung-ho <laughs> about witty Jack at World's End and going to find him. These guys have no loyalty to anyone here. In fact, actually, they've just been plotting against actually everyone most of the movie. They're in it for themselves. What is that? Do another, you have an answer? Yeah, it's another adventure. Come on, these guys? Yeah. They don't want to sit around in... The swamp? Yeah. Or no. anywhere. They don't want to sit around. This is an adventure. This gives them something to do. Really, though? These guys? Yeah. I don't what know else they're... are they going to do? I don't know. They can hang out. Go, dry, go join Davy Jones? They're not going to do that. I also Davy Crockett. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be weird. Davy, Davy Crockett, Pintel and Rigetti there. But the whole idea is that they've been trying to steal things. They tried to steal the Black Pearl. There's nothing for them here now besides an adventure, really? And I, that just yeah, doesn't, I don't adventure. know if I buy that. There's Why? no treasure. All I can see is danger. Danger, Rigetti, danger. That's the whole idea. They're trying to avoid danger all the time. But Jack is a gentleman of fortune. Yeah, and I got stuff on that actually coming up. But... And that's not what you think it is. It's actually different. Okay. But why, I mean, why are they all on the free Jack Sparrow longboat here? This this idea that we're jumping on the bandwagon, but I put it in pirate terms. They're jumping on that. They're like gung-ho. They're right after Gibbs. Like, I, I'm going to do this. Hey. I mean, my, my only guess is that maybe they have some sense of we owe it to him for saving him from the Kraken or saving them from the Kraken. Because that's maybe. what they think. But come on. I mean, if anyone has shown themselves to be freelance pirates here, it's these two guys. Yes and no. You'd think that they'd be they're, that excited? They're followers. They're not leaders. They're escapers, if possible. Yeah, but what are they? What were they going to do with the Black Pearl, just the two of them? Sail you off, need six, rob things, you steal things. You need six men to, to, use, or to uh, man the Black Pearl. Or woman. How oh, dare you? Whatever. Poor Elizabeth. But you can't. So they couldn't have gone anywhere anyway. Well, they could Just have the went onto the seas. They were going to steal it to begin with, so they must have had some know-how about they could at least rudimentary sail this thing. And I think they still, you know, they do have some loyalty to Jack. I don't know. He's their captain. He's the captain because they caught him red-handed trying to steal the ship, and then they said, oh, no, we're prepping it for you. Let's uh, help. They, they were. Then when they're on the island... Uh, Getting the chest, they're trying to do their own thing. See, this is this is what I'm talking about. Well, they're I'm not pirates. Sure, I'm not sure that I buy them immediately jumping onto the pledge, their support kind of thing. I mean, this is an obviously crazy do? plan to save Jack. Well, I don't know what they're gonna do. That's not my job. My job is to ask the question: Why does this make sense? They are pirates. They live on the sea. There's no other options or jobs. There's other jobs. Not right there at the swamp land. Well, come on. The swamp land. Yeah. That's we're just 
they're gonna have to live there forever. In the bayou. Well, what are they gonna do? Tia Dolma gonna make a boat for him? Possibly. Really? Now, if Gora directed them to be like persuaded to, you know, like uh, they steal some glances at each other while deciding if they want to join in with the group, something like that, that might sell the scene better for me. Like, nah. uh, do we go? Do we not? Because they're 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 almost acting like. Okay, he's the main pal, and of course we're behind Captain Jack. He's their captain. Then how come they weren't behind Captain Jack when Barbosa was the captain? Because he was a captain they ousted at the time. Jack? I don't know. Really? These two guys, I can see others. I mean, I understand others jumping on, but Pintel and Rigetti. Well, Cotton and Marty. Hey, Marty wasn't in there and didn't say hi. Hey, hi. <laughs> Marty wasn't in there. Oh, that's a good point. He wasn't in the shack. Where the hell did they put Marty? Yeah, that's a good he point. He wasn't in that shack. Are we sure? At all. Now I'm thinking, how do we no. analyze and scrutinize and we miss this? He wasn't in that shack. Yeah, because he didn't say I. Unless he stayed in the boat. Or it was because you see Gibbs walking in when Gibbs does a speech. But you what never see Marty go in and you never see Marty in the shack. Yeah, you don't see him, do you? Uh-uh. That's weird. Why, why is he outside the shack? Good question. Because, I mean, I have no problem with Gibbs, like, willing to... Go after Jack. Marty. I'll put in finger quotes because we have no idea where they stashed Marty. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, Cotton's in there. Cotton, yeah. I mean, Cotton, well, voiced by his parrot. I mean, is there, they, they like accept and, and maybe that's why I think Cotton and Marty would be better because they like were made part of the crew. It's like the original Motley crew. They're accepted. They're kind of outcast in the pirate world and they were brought on to be the crew. So I can see that there's some loyalty there. But... And then I understand that the, there's a focus on Elizabeth and Will. I mean, perhaps the trade-off that had to be made for the scene to work with a, like a powerful punch at the end is when Will finally steps up. It would have been awkward to throw like Pintel and Rigetti in at the end. Right. Because then it doesn't have that well, powerful Well, you have to moment. have the actual crew go first and then, yeah. But well, I mean, just from a character perspective, yeah. Pintel and Rigetti don't add up. I see bringing them in after everybody else has jumped in who's more aligned with Jack is a bit awkward to say like Pintel So you wanted Cotton to say I before Pintel and Rigetti. Yeah. And I want Pintel and Rigetti to be like look at each other like do we have any other option? But no, they step up with tears in their three eyes. Well they're and, sad. Um Jack well put it in this place. Jack risked his life, well, to save Pintel and Rigetti. Well that's yeah, but do they he gave care up that? his that's life. What I'm saying. I think they do. I don't know. I don't know if we're going to come together on this. Okay. I mean, we know Elizabeth, though. I mean, she's looking for redemption. That's why she kind of does it. Will, I mean, I'll I'll get to him in a second because there's, like, some other real stuff with him. Like, when it comes to the truth and stuff. As demonstrated by the Princess Bride, by the way. So that's a teaser for things to come, like, in a couple minutes. <laughs> so not really a teaser. It's like, I don't know what it is. Anyways, the idea that Pintel and Rigetti are... So stand upish here at this point contradicts everything else about them that we've ever seen with Pintel and Rigetti so far. That's all I'm saying. Not, I think they're they're followers. Well, I know that you think followers. they would have given a little more thought, but yeah, they're followers because they thought about other stuff. And it's like, what else are they gonna do? Well, I don't know if I buy the boredom theory, but okay. I mean, do you notice? And they're loyal to Jack. Semi loyal. Simi loyal. Ship stealing loyal. Do what you need to do. Treasure stealing loyal. Do what you need to do. Heart stealing loyal. They're loyal to an extent. 
Yeah. This seems a little overboard. Maybe that is. Maybe it's the only like, okay, we only got to get the hell off of this bayou. This is our only way. I don't know. But did you notice that everybody sounds off with an I except Elizabeth? Yep. And I think that's the brilliance of the script. Because everyone is vocalizing kind of this nautical pirate speak, right? You know, it's like even Even Will. I almost called him William. Yeah. Elizabeth, though. She's the only one who doesn't. And she comes up with like a gentle yes. Like a... Well, she's really broken up here. Yes. I mean, that's the isolation from the group on multiple levels, I think. Because it's not like the stereotypical pirate to say yes. Which almost brings her back to Elizabeth the woman as opposed to Elizabeth the pirate for me. Yeah. Because it's something like... She's been striving to be a pirate ever since she was a child. And because of her guilt, using yes, it's almost like it's less punitive. I don't know. Maybe less severe. I has such a, like, sharp edges to it. Yeah. Yes. You're really agreeing. It's, yes. Is. Eh, okay. Yeah. I mean, she's wallowing the guilt, obviously. Expressing her sorrow and all that kind of she's stuff. She's wallowing, all right. Yeah. That's what I said. I was just agreeing. <laughs> Gibbs is the only one we've actually ever seen physically wallow. Wallow with pigs. (laughs) But the yes kind of denotes that shift from what we might hear her say aboard the Pearl in response to a commanding order. Because we've seen her, it's almost like if she's accepting a command, she'd say I like the rest of the crew. But now it's that gentle yes. And of course, I mean, it's, it's another way to remind the audience that she's just like the only one who actually knows what happened before escaping into the longboat. I mean, it creates that feeling of isolation from the rest of the group. Yes. She's the one who's set apart. You notice Will waited. Till she answered? Yeah, I think he had to. To see what she was going to do? Because that's he exactly He wanted to right. stay in the bayou? No, because I mentioned Will earlier with my tease of the Princess Bride. It's a special Princess Bride truthiness kind of thing here. Because he's the most interesting and dynamic character in all of these minutes that we're looking at now. These two minutes, right? Yeah. It's the theme of true love. And of course, Princess Bride is the definer of all things related to true love. Of course. And we've talked about... Princess Bride and probably Multiple? Curse of the Black Pearl and stuff like that. And I even dug up some quotes just that, that are kind of applicable here. Because Wesley says in Princess Bride, death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it for a while. Miracle Max, obviously. I mean, come on. Sonny, true love is the greatest thing in the world except for a nice MLT, mutton, lettuce, and tomato sandwich, where the mutton is nice and lean and the tomato is ripe. They're so perky. I love that. <laughs> So they're probably hungry here. So maybe that one doesn't quite fit. But it is the greatest thing. It's true love. And then the clergyman. Mawage. That blessed arrangement. That dweem within a dweem. And wove to wove will follow you forever. So treasure your wove. Okay. That's a quote from the clergyman in Princess Bride that I shamelessly destroyed in repeating that. Mawage. Okay. Anyways. (laughs) But you get the point. It's all about true love. And if Will doesn't do this kind of his like damnedest to show Elizabeth that he loves her enough to set her free to He's pursue her. her new love, Jack, that's the, the idea. Because it's the old adage I think is playing out here. If you love something, set it free. If it comes back to you, it's yours. If not, it was never meant to be. And Will is doing that right now. He saw the kiss. He's seen the kind of flirtations. Yeah. He's been kind of misconstruing this whole thing. It's like the idea that he doesn't know what's going on, but he thinks that she's broken up because he died as opposed to the guilt for her killing him. So he's misunderstanding the whole situation. And his thinking is delaying that is like, well, I'm going to do whatever Elizabeth wants. Okay, if she wants to go get Jack and try and bring him back, you know what? I'll help her do that because I I actually love her and I want to make sure that she's happy. 
Do you think with this new proposal, he thinks he can stay? Marriage proposal? <laughs> Is that what you're talking about? <laughs> no, to go out and go find Jack. Do you think he could save his? Do you think he thinks he could save his dad? I think that may be part of it, but I don't think that's the driving factor. I think it's Elizabeth because he would have, because he comes up to her and says, "If there was anything we could do to bring Jack back," and then that's when Tia Dalma jumps in and says, "Would you, Elizabeth?" You know, kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, but again, I think that this is the idea that for him, fate can determine like whether a relationship was meant to be. And so from him, it's like if you let it go, they will come back if that's your destiny. So it's like I think he's trying to play out the destiny thing with that. I mean, and then those who don't believe in like destiny or determinism, I mean, a better interpretation is that you cannot free or freely force somebody to love you. You have to give them the freedom to choose. And so I think that's kind of what he's doing. He's playing into all this idea because he still loves her. I mean, freaking Will is setting her free. He's been watching her every move, misinterpreting her guilt for sadness that Jack is dead. He had the unfortunate sight of her kissing him. He sees her depressed. I mean, what else can he assume? That she loves him. Yeah, loves Jack. And so he finally responds. I mean, if there was something we could do to bring him back, which obviously opens the door, like I just said, for Tia Dalma to to kind of drop the Barbosa at World's End adventure sequel bomb thing. Will even waits for Elizabeth to say yes, and that's when he signs on. Because it's like, whatever Elizabeth wants, if she wants to retrieve Jack, I'll help her. I just want her to be happy, and maybe I can save my dad a little bit. Yeah. But it's like, bam, true love right there. Because Pirates of the Caribbean is Princess Bride now. That is. <laughs> and this weaving in these past three minutes with the theme is perfect. Because even going back to the previous minute, It can be argued that Will is weighing his options of letting Elizabeth go. Plus everything else we said about freeing Bootstrap, like when he's thumping his knife and poking it into the table. That's like contemplative thought right there. That's what I got on. That's my idea about it. And true loyalty, as demonstrated in Princess Bride, is not demonstrated by Pintel and Rigetti. Boom, that's my last get in. No, no, the topic is closed. The topic is closed. Because they're going to go find Jack. The topic on that was closed. I got the last one-liner in, just like Michael Scott in The Office. They're going to go brave the weird haunted shore of World's End. That does sound pretty ominous. Exactly. Sounds like something Pintel and Rigetti would definitely sign up for with no treasure involved. They're adventure-seeking. Adventure-seeking or... Adventure seeking. Pleasure treasure seeking. Adventure seeking. <sighs> as long as they're on the sea, they don't care what they're doing or who their doing it captain to. is or anything like that. Okay. They just want to be back in the sea. We agree to know that I'm right and disagree with each mm, other. I don't believe you're right. Then, <laughs> of course, we get uh, Barbosa. I like the Pintel and Rigetti. I didn't say I didn't like them. I think I like their characters. I don't think I know I like their characters. I'm just saying this seems out of character for oh. a... A major fan of the P and the R. Oh, they've known Jack for a long time, just like all the... I know they've known him for a long time. All the swamp people. Okay, we got to close this topic. We're going to bore everybody. And as I was starting to get to trying to transition with me on with the upper hand, Heather wouldn't let me have the upper hand there. Uh, Barbosa and the Apple, the unexpected Barbosa return. Do you remember actually being surprised by Barbosa coming back? Do you remember? I don't remember. I've seen it so many times now. That's the thing. I mean, I don't recall either. And I doubt it's like really the same feeling I get when I watch it now. But back then, I, I have no idea. I mean, he was this kind of tragic figure. We talked about all that. But it, this was like the holy Shiite Batman moment here. 
And I don't know at the time. I mean, I watch it now, like you said, and it never gets old hearing and seeing him kind of walk down the stairs to drop the line. Yeah. Like what's become of my ship. It's pretty powerful either way. Whether you think of him as kind of the redeemed character or still evil. I mean, it's really the mother of all cliffhangers to end the movie on. That's for sure. But I just don't remember at the time going, oh my God, Barbosa's back. Or was I still going, oh, Barbosa was an evil bastard. I don't know. But I'm giving... Here, the apple is the top billing. That's my... <laughs> I'm almost more infatuated with the apple at this point. I actually have something to say about Barbosa's return. Okay, go for it. So, the um, this was actually a final twist of the movie. The actors were not told Jeffrey Rush was coming back. Oh. <laughs> so, they expect... Uh, um, they were told that Anna Maria oh, would, would be the one walking down the stairs. And then it was Jeffrey Rush. And so, they got that... Uh, actual authentic hmm. um, look from everybody or act or reaction. Yeah, and she didn't leave on good terms. So I wonder if Zoe Saldana was maybe trying to come back and then, or they had planned for her to maybe come back and then they had to change it because of the the break between the relationship with her and the studio or the director yeah. or whatever the hell happened there. So yeah, they were told that it would be Anna Maria, but ended up being Jeffrey Rush. Hmm. And so they, the reactions were That's all a pretty, genuine. You gotta like have somewhat of a stone kind of face to a point to not be like, what the hell? Yeah, and right. Break, and break character. <laughs> and then like, you just ruined the take, damn it. Because <laughs> you gotta make sure that you're still in character when you're surprised. You can't just be like, F that, what? Hey, <laughs> Jeffrey, you know? Well, it'd be kind of interesting to see when... Um, which was done for you know because when they the chicken they or the do egg the, when they when they uh, why did the video a movie the they don't do it in order all the no. time right okay so which came first was it the one where yeah that's Elizabeth true. was kissing Jack or this scene that's a good question and then they're wondering what in the hell are these guys doing right what else don't us? we know. <laughs> yeah. I always like to think of them shooting it in order. Like, that's the final moment yeah. that they get surprised. But, eh. They don't do that. It didn't happen that way. It's all location, location, location. There you go. You got to save the money for the budget. As I was talking about the apple, though, because this is Barbosa related. Does it fall far from the tree? Depends. You know, sometimes it could. I guess it rolls away. We've talked a lot about apple symbolism in the past and what it meant to Barbosa as well. And now he finally gets that. I mean, I... It's like, I can taste the apple payoff for him now. <laughs> it's like, ah, oh, thank God you finally get your apple from Curse of the Black Pearl at all ends. He, he had that apple in his hand. He dies. He doesn't get it. I mean, you know the first thing I'm going to do after the curse is lifted, he says. Eat a whole bushel of apples. Yes. So here it is. I mean, his fondness of apples come up again on Stranger Tides, too. So it's like displaying a notable appreciation for green apples. Jeffrey Rush recalled... This while portraying Barbosa as a privateer and on Stranger Tides. He suggested that Barbosa would again eat a green apple, but having adopted sophisticated pretensions, would eat it delicately sliced from a fine plate with proper silverware. Hmm. Then obviously here, though, in this preceding movie, he ends it by, like, a lack of sophistication, given the juice dribbles down his chin. I mean, which was called out actually in the script to say that the juice would dribble down. Oh, really? Yeah. What's up? Directly like applicable for this scene, though, in regards to apple symbolism, because I'm not going to go through all of that again. But his joy, I mean, Barbosa's joy, not Elizabeth's joy. She clearly has no joy. Barbosa does, though. And he's back to life eating apples. I think that's pretty good. He's back to life eating apples and gets to go on the high seas. Yeah. 
Exactly. Find his ship, I say. Then there's also prosperity of the new year is another symbol for it. And that has implications into their upcoming journey to retrieve Jack. Apples are also associated with eternal youth and mortality. Mm. Barbosa, immortal, apparently, coming back. Rejuvenate is the meaning of the apple in Russian folklore, which is rejuvenation here. And the apple also plays into a deep reference with ties to Treasure Island, actually. Oh, really? Yeah, and I say it's a deep cut because that comes in from Pintel's use of the phrase gentleman of fortune. Oh, really? Yeah, because you mentioned gentleman of fortune. And so I kind of looked into it. And the phrase has come up previously in the Pirates of the Caribbean franchise, but not where you might actually think. It's the auctioneer in Tales from the Code Wedlocked. Did that whole episode on that. The guy says, my lords, lads, chaps, masters, esquires, and gentlemen of fortune, I present to you such loveliness as to make you weep. He does that all in the poetic word while selling brides. (laughs) (laughs) It balances out. So even like the Pirates of the Caribbean official Wikia defines a gentleman of fortune as a term used during the golden age of piracy, usually referring to a successful pirate or notorious adventurer. Oh, okay. So it's not somebody who's just steeped in fortune. Years into the future, pirates will prevail. Finally we've conquered death, all our worries gone. Every night our souls will rest Till the break of dawn And the ship sails on Back into beyond Over again When I sing the song This my home Until the end Centuries across the sea Is not enough for me All I want is to be free And hail Captain Blood On and on eternally With life of piracy Hail the curse of Gilmeggy And hail Captain Blood But how the connection comes to apples is from Treasure Island. And in chapter 11, the actual title of chapter 11 is called What I Heard in the Apple Barrel, which is interesting. So there's apple stuff happening here, gentlemen of fortune, it all comes back to Treasure Island. And Robert Louis Stevenson wrote a number of times about gentlemen of fortune, and I have a couple of them here. Here it is about gentlemen of fortune. They live they live see i should have said it like a pirate because that's how he says it but i'm i'm putting it into my speak not his speak let me try that again here it is about gentlemen of fortune they lives rough and they risk swinging but they eat and drink like fighting cocks and when a cruise is done why it's hundreds of pounds instead of hundreds of farthings in their part pocket pocket try pocket you know i almost got through that he also writes by this time i had begun to understand the meaning of their terms By a gentleman of fortune, they plainly meant neither more nor less than a common pirate. And the little scene that I had overheard was the last act in the corruption of one of the honest hands, perhaps of the last one left aboard. So I think that kind of summed up what is gentleman of fortune. That's kind of definition about it. Yeah. But this may actually be the first reference in print for the phrase as well. Oh, really? Yeah. Online dictionaries report that it first showed up between 1880 and 1885, which corresponds to the publication date for Treasure Island. Huh. Yeah. I thought that was pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Yeah. So gentlemen of fortune, it's like uh, soldiers of fortune too. I mean, they came across other similar monikers for highwaymen as well. It's like gentlemen of the road or even knights of the road. Mm. So it's like, it's this weird, like, air of sophistication for something rather, you know, illegal, illicit, you know, these murderers type. I mean, I, I have to imagine that those responsible for romanticizing 
those professions is like uh, it's like somebody like an author like Stevenson would come up with. I mean, highwaymen themselves, unless they did. You're a highwayman. No, I'm a gentleman of the road. I mean, that just sounds like you're scamming somebody there. I mean, I can see someone getting robbed and just saying, oh, look, the Knights of the Road are here. They're here to relieve us of our goods. It's like a Robin Hood kind of thing. No, these murderous bastards and then they're called, I don't know what it is. It's like maybe they had to write their resumes and they're like, oh, well, I was a highwayman for six years, but I can't very well put that. <laughs> Gentlemen of the road, knights of the road. There you know, you go. Then, it, then it sounds better. Sounds it doesn't sound like better. you are murdering and stealing from yeah. people. I don't know. Even yeah, gentlemen of fortune. You know, those guys came up with that while drinking. <laughs> it's weird. I don't know. But speaking of highwaymen, I really need to listen to that song again. The highwayman by mm -hmm. highwayman or highwayman by the highwayman. There we go. Because it's excellent. It's about reincarnation, kind of like uh, Barbosa here, and it fits nicely with coming back to, you know. Like this whole thing across time and all these different things. And it's oh, kind yeah. of a Pirates of the Caribbean-ish in Kinda. a loose way. Okay, Barbosa comes back. That's basically it. <laughs> there we go. I don't know. Did you have anything you wanted to add? What else do you have? No, that's it for me. That's all you have? Yeah. Nothing about true love and Wesley and Princess Bride or dribbling juice <laughs> on your chin like you're doing right now in the studio? That green apple is delicious. That dribbling wine and rum down your yeah. chin. It's always a fiesta in here. Okay. I don't have anything <laughs> Gotta clean else up after each show. No, we gotta clean up after each show. It's like a mess in here. But thanks for listening, Scallywags. Because if you like the show, give us a review on Apple Podcasts or your podcaster of choice. If you prefer iHeartRadio, you can find us lurking around their app as well. Give us a follow. Because it helps us grow the show and we greatly appreciate it. Have a question or comment? Give us a call at 8637-PIRATE. We just might play your voicemail on the show. You can also give us a shout at podcast at blackpearlshow.com. And don't forget to join the post-episode brawls on Facebook. All the links are at theblackpearlshow.com. It is that freaking easy. And of course, we're delivering parts of the Caribbean info to the masses as the dirty freaking filthy bilge rats we are. We're analyzing, scrutinizing, and blundering. Till then, scallywags, let's leave the horn swoggling and the scurvy to a minimum. Now get me my grog. I think that was my line. It's like, get me my rum. Oh, no, it is always your line. Yeah, it is. Somebody's trying to steal rum. my lines I'm... now. What the heck? Somebody's got to do it. Across the sea is not enough for me. All I want is to be free and hail Captain Blood. On and on eternally. What life will piracy. Hail the curse of Gilmanky and hail Captain Blood. Hail Captain Blood. Listening to the Black Pearl Show, and we appreciate it, Scallywags. Pirates don't need no stinking disclaimers, but just for fun, I think all you dirty, filthy bilge rats know that Disney and Bruckheimer Films have no affiliation with us at all, and we have none with those blooming cockroaches. We talk about Pirates of the Caribbean, which is their property, and all that other fun stuff. But I think it's obvious what's ours and what's theirs. There's no need to blur the lines or stir up a bloody rum-filled sweat. As for the music, that's with permission or licensed under Creative Commons. So let's give a shout-out to Ross Bugden, Six Nail Coffin, and Tommy Wynn. The rest? Well, that's just me. Oh, maybe Heather.
This is a Shoutreach Media production.